Hi everybody, this is Christian Thwaites of Brown Janikowski. Uh, sorry we're running a little bit late, but welcome to our uh, monthly call, which we actually, actually haven't held for uh, about a month. So nice to hear everyone back. Um, if you Right now, most people are on mute and we'll open it up to questions uh, in a little while and I'll, I'll unmute uh, the calls this end and uh, then you should be able to uh, ask, ask questions when I open that up. So I'm joined here today. Rita Lee, unfortunately, is, is traveling, so not able to join us today. So I'm here with Emily Takenvert. Hi, everyone. And Emily is one of our financial advisors. And if you listen to our podcast, you'll recognize her voice. She's the, uh, other, um, the other participant in our podcast. So uh, June the 4th, 2010, 20, <laughs> 2019, it's been uh, quite a tumultuous month. As you know, we had a very weak fourth quarter in equities where peak to trough market was down 19%. Um, it bounced back a lot in January and February recovered most of those uh, losses, primarily because the Fed said it would be patient back in January after having done four rate cuts. Um, and then since then, the first four months were strong. And then in May, we had a, we had a weak uh, month where the S&P retraced about 1%. It's still up about 11.5% year to date, small company up about 8%, tech up 17%. But on average, those have been down 5 5 and 6% over the last few weeks. So what's the common denominator? Of course, everything we've spoken about in the last year has to do with trade. Um, and the latest um, rounds were of, of market weakness could be ascribed directly to trade. So last time we talked about trade wars being uh, waged on three fronts, the sort of China, Europe, and then Canada, Mexico. I'd like to sort of re phrase those or recategorize those a little bit and also talk about three fronts, but in a slightly different way. So the first front we really see is China. There's $500 billion of imports, round numbers. They're declining uh, rapidly because uh, since last year, ch Chinese imports have declined in absolute uh, dollar numbers. But there's about 25% tariffs heading their way on the entire $500 billion. There's, a slight, there's about 25% tariffs on a little more than half of it today. And uh, we really hear sort of daily updates on how these talks are going, but have no real uh, strong you know, idea on um, whether there's going to be a, a, a resolution to everyone's satisfaction. And also on that first front, too, is the 5% uh, tariffs levied on Mexico last week. Uh, this was clearly sort of uh, you know, economic warfare, sort of carried off in a different, different, different means. Have nothing to do with the the value or the fairness of trade. It's obviously tied to the immigration problems. So that's five percent on goods coming in from Mexico, um, and ratcheting up to twenty five percent between now and the end of October. And it is worth noting that Mexico is is now the U.S.'s biggest trading partner. If you add up just goods exports, so exclude services like hotels and uh, accountants and lawyers and airlines and things like that. We just took about physical goods going across each the border. Mexico is about $150 billion of trade, goods trade in the first quarter. China was down to 130. So Mexico is the biggest uh, trading partner uh, that we have. Um, and it's different from Mexico because, from China, because 67% of the imports from China are intra-company trade. And what does that mean? Well, basically, because of the importance of auto plants and the auto manufacturing and parts businesses, 
um, a finished good can cross the border three or four times. So if you've, if you've got a plant, if you're Ford and you've got a plant in Mexico and plants in the United States, a drivetrain or a transmission might be assembled in one place, shipped over to the next place, have an engine put on top of it, shipped back over across the border to get bodywork put onto it, shipped back to be finished and painted an extra installation and shipped back for export. So the real worry there is that, you know, is there going to be an import levy every time that thing crosses or is it only on the finished goods? Needless to say, the details were a little lacking in the tweets. But this is what really squared, uh, spooked the market uh, on Thursday and Friday um, because the supply chains are far more intertwined and complicated with Mexico than they are with China. And they're pretty complicated in China as it is. So that's the first front. The second front is with the EU, which is sort of a, a bit of a um, false phony war going on right now. The biggest concerns is auto manufacturers. So there's a temporary stay of tariffs coming in from European, uh, European auto manufacturers. And then in return, it's the U.S. pushing for more access to uh, agricultural exports from the U.S. to the EU. But given the EU's regulations on food imports, that's going to be a very difficult one to to square. And it'd be interesting to see whether that that particular front uh, inflames or it deteriorates from here or just kind of stays as it is with a sort of a, a standoff. And the third front is really sort of a, an amalgamation of things which have hit the market recently. First of all is tech and essentially the shutting out of Huawei, this big 5G operator and its access to U.S. Technology, as we mentioned in one of the blogs recently, the um, restrictions on the Google Android system operating the Huawei phones essentially reduces those phones to the status of a brick. So uh, there's that that really will hurt a lot of you know tech and semiconductor companies uh, in, in, in China. Uh, aluminum has taken another hit. You know the Austra Australians were exempted from the aluminum tariffs from last year as they stepped into the market. So they're about to get hit with uh, aluminum uh, tariffs as well. So is steel. Um, and obviously steel is aimed at uh, Mexico and China. And those steel tariffs are still in place until the new NAFTA deal, whose name escapes me, uh, passes Congress, even if it, 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 even if it does. Uh, if it does, you know, certainly no certainty on that. And interesting to note that, you know, with all the support that the steel industry has got, the few quoted companies, steel companies like U.S. Steel, and down 75% in value since, since uh, March of last year. So the steel tariffs don't seem to have hurt many people, helped many people. And the final one on this final front is India. I don't know if you noticed on Friday, India's status as an emerging market was rescinded by the Trump administration. So that all of the sort of tariff-free goods and trade from uh, from the U.S. to India uh, now will be subject to you know normal tariffs. So a lot of that you know, that is all the trade front, and it's a and it's a lot for the market to absorb, uh, and it's obviously worrying because it it, it messes up long term planning, and uh, and and business confidence, uh, and certainly investment, and it's also led to some uh, some some depreciation of currencies like the Mexican peso, which you wrote about last week, it was down four percent in one day. So the trade front, lots going on, difficult moving parts, difficult to see exactly how that's going to be resolved and in what time frame. It's kind of like the the the, uh, the, the gift that won't stop giving, unfortunately. So uh, it's um, you know we're just going to have to live with that as part of the uh, stock market and equity and bond investing. 
Very briefly on the economy, the economy is weaker on the manufacturing side, factory orders, big things is all weaker. Uh, housing is sort of off its top, but not particularly weak, um, taken the nation as a whole. And the consumer is in good, good position. So you've got this strange situation where the manufacturer's goods, the ISM manufacturing, um, purchasing managers, anything that's kind of physical and large, is uh, is having a harder time, but anything which is service related and consumer is is in relatively good shape. Not not as good shape as it was last year, but it's certainly not in recession. And on our recession watch, we don't see a lot of um, you know uh, indicators for, for recession. Really, that starts having to hit working hours and uh, and employment and claims before you can say we're in a full recession. And since 2009, we've had plenty of weak quarters, negative quarters. And um, you know, a, a slow growth economy is not is not the same as recession. So, you know, we would say that it'll it, the economy will come off this three percent uh, rate, which it was last year. It's gradually ticking down. We'll be lucky to hit two and change for this current quarter. So weaker, but not at the point yet where we're looking at a recession, which, for definitional purposes, is two. Um, Sequential quarters of, um, of of negative real GDP growth. So we're not we're not there yet. And then uh, on the Fed, I mean the Fed has been very dovish ever since January. I mean just in the last 48 hours, we've had speeches from Chairman Powell and Deputy Chairman Clarida, fairly dovish, you know, saying that they're going to be patient. They don't see inflation. Inflation just refuses to tick up much more than about one and a half percent. They can see the same rollover in the economy as as everyone else, um, so they're very much um, you know parked on the sidelines. And I think the big calls that you know back in October, November, I think everyone was expecting further increases in the Fed funds rate in 2019. They're clearly off the cards. And what we're looking at now is the Fed funds futures rate is pricing in a cut around about September. Um, so uh, the, the bonds have been on an absolute tear. So the 10-year Treasury, 3.2% last October. Today, it hit 2.09%. So if you just hold the 10-year Treasury, you're sitting on 11% gain, excluding the coupons. Um, and today, you know, we've had this inverted yield curve, which is a bit of a recession indicator, but as we've mentioned before, it is a recession indicator, but its timing is very unpredictable. So it could be you know, some years out. And also, I think there is an argument that the that things are different today because of the r- low absolute rate uh, level of interest rates. But nevertheless, we do have 30-day commercial paper, which are floating rate notes at at 2.35, and 10-year paper at 2.09%. Uh, and then on the German bund side, uh, Emily, you'll like this. The German bund is negative 0.21%. So if you buy a German bund today at 100 euro, you'll get 97 cents, 97 dollars, 97 euros back in 10 years now. And so, uh, just talk about equities. Um, the big news, I think, last week, long time coming, but the DOJ is going to look at Google and Apple, and the FCC is going to look at Facebook and Amazon. And this has been, this is no news to anybody, really. It's just a question of whether the regulations would come from the executive side or from the legislative side, and here it is. And so we can play that out. Personally, I don't think it's a big deal. It's that big a deal. If these companies get broken up, like AT&T or Microsoft, um, there might be some value in there. But meanwhile, it obviously puts a a cloud on the horizon. 
And equities have fallen quite a bit, quite quickly, um, but I don't in quite an orderly fashion. So we haven't seen any kind of race to the race to the bottom, get me out at any price behavior. Um, so I think we're in a period now where it's protection where we can um, in markets which we feel are exposed. Uh, treasuries that could be for a 60/40 investor here at Brown Janikowski, 25% of their portfolio um, and probably 40% of their 30 to 40% of their fixed income portfolio. And that's done well, and that will continue to do well in any kind of recession fears or fear trades. Um, and then generally a little less exposure to international and emerging markets just because of the trade and economic roll down uh, will affect a lot of those. So, um, boy, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, Emily, you're talking to clients all the time. Uh, what have we missed? Yeah, I mean, I want to come back to this issue of the Fed, um, especially since we did have some guidance from them today around um, being able to impact any um, effects of, of the trade wars, the ongoing trade wars. But, you know, you can largely say that monetary policy, Fed guidance has really moved markets in the last eight months and have been the driver. We saw those kind of um, very hawkish comments in October um, by Jay Powell, um, followed by a, a dip in the market. We saw them coming up being much more dovish and leading to a rally this year. Um, you know, trade has been driving the markets for the last couple of weeks, but this new comment by, by Powell this morning, could this then can just continue the rally that was started in the beginning of the year? Um, I, that, that's a good one. I think if anything, it's like a confirmation of the rally because I, I, I think the market's ahead of him. Um, there's no way that I think anyone would have imagined that we would be sitting at a 2.1% 10 year, six months ago. And I think what he's doing is the catching up with the market by saying, yeah, we you know we're when essentially we're, we're going to be patient. There's no indication of inflation. That's one of their dual mandates. They can't seem to ever get above 2% uh, have even trouble hitting one and a half percent. So I think this is confirmation that we're in for a, easier period, which will be generally good for bonds. And um, and I also hear, uh, we had the, the European elections last month. What do, those, what do those results mean for Europe in general going forward? Um, I, that's a difficult one because um, it's kind of split up and, you know, what happened in Germany and France. You saw, you saw actually these pro-EU um, parties actually do better than people expected. So I think the EU is going to be a, in a continuing period of incredibly low interest rates. New ECB president due in October, very unlikely they're going to reverse uh, Draghi's policy of you know, 0% um, uh, rates. Um, it'll be slow. They're going to be hit by the auto downturn, um, which, is, which is sort of in, in swing right now. Um, but I don't, think, I don't think we're going to see any sort of big weakness there. <coughs> Um, so I think EU, Europe generally for, a, for for bond investing it's it's a it's a safe place to be uh, like the bonds and the Swiss francs but it's not going to it's not going to rally much from here mm -hmm. and I think on equity side it's kind of stable and and uh, and and not particularly exciting for those of you who read the Economist they had an interesting sort of two versions of the European stock markets with Nestle tr trading at 29 times earnings and Daimler-Benz trading at eight times earnings. And, uh, you know, would those ever to converge? And the basic answer was no. <laughs> that, uh, you know, Nestle was a high-quality high, high quality 
products company, you know, well-run, well-managed global, and, and Daimler-Benz was sunk in a big industry changes big industry and highly changes. technical. So I think that's really the picture that you get in, in Europe. It's not particularly exciting. And as you know, we've taken some protection out and, uh, and generally reduced our European exposure for the last six months. If we do see these tariffs come to pass, especially the Mexican ones, up to 25%, um, starting at five, though, will the Fed be enough in terms of being able to be a counterbalance to these tariffs, to the economy? Uh, probably not. I mean, I think that if the, 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 the Fed can reduce the rates, uh, but I, I don't know, if you're, if you're a treasurer of a major company and you can borrow at 75 basis points or 100 basis points over 10-year treasuries, your IRR on a project doesn't change materially being able to borrow at 3% versus 2% or, or 3.5% versus 2.5%. So I, I, I don't know. I think it'll, it'll help the stock market valuation. I think the tariffs uh, are going to be problematic. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's a big corporate kickback on this and we see something less than the full motoring ahead to 25%. We'll see. I'm going to turn to a, a client-submitted question right now. Um, this question quotes your last blog. Um, it says, quote, if the only winning move is not to play, end quote, does that imply a shift in your investment strategy out of equities and bonds to shorter-term treasuries? And if so, by approximately how much? Yeah, we've done mostly that. Uh, so um, the, this recent move sort of vindicates the move into treasuries and shorter-term treasuries. Um, so long-term treasuries, again, about 2.13% played for total return this year. And shorter-term treasuries, like the 90 days, still yielding, still yielding about 2.4%. So quite nice. Um, so th this would really indicate that we'd hold those trades There's no, you know, until until things are a little bit clearer. It doesn't mean necessarily that we're, we're already quite quite long in treasury, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't push that up. Well, thank you very much. We are at the 20-minute mark right now. Um, I'm just going to unmute quickly. Um, press star eight. And um, if people have any questions, uh, we're very happy to take them. I'll just I'll just keep quiet for a little bit. Okay, it doesn't look like we have any any uh, any any questions coming through. Um, so at that point, if I've missed anybody, feel free to send us an email, and we'll certainly get back to you. And thank you very much for your participation. And um, what I'm going to do now is the bit that everybody likes, and it's very rare that we see people clicking off at this point, but here comes the disclosure. Please note the information provided in the presentation for general informational purposes only and should not be considered individualized recommendation or personalized advice. The investment strategies discussed in this presentation may not be suitable for everyone. Each investor needs to review an investment strategy for his or her own particular situation. Before making an investment decision, all expressions of opinion are subject to change without notice in reaction to shifting market or economic conditions. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The opinions presented cannot be viewed as an indicator of future performance.